Guys in the Golf. All right, Guys in the Golf podcast, episode four. Here we are, back again. Back here, mate, yeah, I'm flying along, doing oh, pretty yeah. good. Yeah, having, having good fun doing it. Yeah, look, uh, what happened this week? Uh, we went out of fish. We did so, what was that, two yep. days ago? Uh, yeah, something like that, yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, day before yesterday, went out of look. Uh, yeah, so uh, trying to get some uh, barras. That was the plan, and, and in that way we did succeed, but it, it wasn't didn't turn out exactly how we'd hoped. The plan from the very start was we're going to go out and target the big girls. It's this time of year that those the big breeding females are down at the mouth. Doing allegedly. The, allegedly, doing the GG. Yeah, so that's what we went looking for. Yeah. So um, that was the plan, get out there, uh, fish the uh, bottom of the low tide right at the mouth and uh, basically, yeah, uh, just pretty much just trolling exclusively and looking for fish on the sounder, on the side scan and... Yep. Uh, uh, finding schools of fish and then trying to troll, troll yeah. up a, a big girl, that and, was the plan. And persistence was the key. We thought, look, if, if we go through a slow patch, just persist through it. You know, do the miles, get the smiles. That was the plan. So... Didn't quite work out? No, for the first four hours, we trolled up and down on uh, along the mangroves, in the in the depths, in the shallows, out the mouth. Yeah, we're right out the channel, um, a few k's out the channel. Um, found one school of fish out, out a long way out, a few k's out the channel. Um, yeah, there was quite a few fish in that school you could see on the sounder. Yeah, so trolled over them several times uh, for nothing and then pulled up and actually drifted over that school again, threw some soft vibes into them to see if we could entice a, entice a bite. But um, found absolutely nothing, mate. Other than a stranded sea turtle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, up in the distance, hundreds of metres away, we could see a little lump on the flats, and it's like, what? Well, doesn't look normal. Didn't look like a log. Um, yeah, not sure what it was. So Ash said, yeah, it was... Chunk wonder, the drone up. Yeah, I wonder if that's a turtle. And, yeah, put the drone up, and off I went. Yeah, 350 metres away or something, and, yeah, found it. It looked In the in the footage I got, it, it looks dead, but, but it, it definitely was moving. We could see it splashing from a distance before I put the drone up and after I landed it. Mm. We could see it moving. So I, I think it's either got stranded or just taken a break. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know um, we spoke about that when we were out there that, um, you know, I know people uh, sometimes find turtles and stuff like that, and they're up on the bank somewhere and try and push them back into the water, but... As we had the discussion the other day, um, you were saying that, um, you know, potentially that's uh, the females, they're just trying to get a break because the, all the males are trying to breed with them and, yeah. they, and they're just absolutely buggered, so they're trying to uh, get up out of the water so, yeah, so they don't have the males. A little bit of time out, yeah. yeah, yeah. The males these, chase them all the time. And these good, good Samaritans coming along and putting them back in the water <laughs> to yeah, be amongst 15 males trying to breed with them, yeah. Yeah, anyway, that was probably the, the only bit of excitement for the morning. Yeah, for several hours. I think yeah. we spent four or five hours just trolling, and yeah, yeah we we didn't give up. Yeah, um, you know, uh, yeah, tried quite uh, quite hard there to do that, but um, yeah, not so good. Yeah, we're expecting a chopper. I don't know. Not me. They landed. Landing now. Yeah. Big jet radio. Interrupted by a helicopter landing. That's that's a first for us. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my Mrs. Reen to see what we're doing after I've just told her what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, right. so. so before we get on to the barrel, let's talk about, so we were, yeah, we're using these big lures. I had on a big, uh, one of the, the extra long uh, barrel classics on. Yep. Um, and yeah, the, the action in the water, like the size of it, like big lure in theory will go on for big fish. That being said, the biggest fish I've ever seen you catch, the biggest barrel was on a, a little Hellraiser, a Reedy's little Hellraiser. Yeah. Which is, that big. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Colin. <laughs> yeah, Colin, yes. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, and I had, like, I was, I was using a um, uh, big uh, um, Warlock, um, deep, right. deeper diver. Yeah. Um, sort of, three, well, yeah, three plus metre, ten, well, yeah, ten plus. Yeah, I think my arm was about the same depth, yeah. Um, and obviously where we were trolling, like, on the edge of the um, channel there, you know, it is quite deep there, so, um, you yeah. know, three to four metres along there. So that was the plan, get down deep and try and find some, some big fish and, yeah, unfortunately, uh, not so good. Yeah. But um, but yeah, we just waited for that tide to turn, and then once that tide turned, we went for another look out out the channel, and then trolled all the way back in, and yeah, had several attempts at finding fish on the sounder, and yeah, didn't do any good. We're getting uh, all we were getting was sunburn. <laughs> True story. <laughs> then uh, the sound of uh, thunder and storms in the background uh, wasn't uh, helping morale too much. So yeah, we t turned to our. Uh, our old traits, mate, and old habits. And yeah. 
That yeah. seemed to do the do the right thing. Yeah, we were up in the in the shallows, up in the flats. Up, uh, we started up just a tiny little creek, and that's where we got the. We actually bowed the first barra of the day. I reckon that was on a, a barra classic I was using. Or gold bomber. Maybe. Sorry, bog. It was a gold bomber. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. a little shallow diver. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that was yeah. We, we watched the bait getting absolutely smashed there in the in the um yeah the mouth of that little creek, and yeah. we're only in like half a foot of water. Yeah, but like, like the boat was was wedged on on the flats, like we didn't have an anchor out or anything. We're just stuck there, you know. We're, yeah. we're casting into water this deep, you know. What's that? Ten inches or something? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's the 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 barrow was smashing the bait in there. Yeah, that's one thing we did see all day. Even even when the the barrow in the morning weren't biting, mm. we still we still saw heaps of bait. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even out on, out the flats in the in the channels everywhere, we, we there was bait everywhere. It's it's uh. So it certainly wasn't wasn't as active as as what it was when we came back in. The tide started pushing in, yeah. and then um, after the first creek, we decided to go up uh, the next creek, which like well, like crabbers call it like Dugong One. Yeah, it's Warren Inlet, I think. Yeah, I think it'd be, mar- it'd be Marcus Warren in- Warren's Inlet. Or, so yeah. uh, we went in there, which is extremely shallow. Like yeah. we were we were dragging mud um, the whole way in there. Um, but we got in there and then like first cast in there, a second cast, and he hooked another barra. A little gully, yeah. Um, and then a couple of casts later, another barra. Yes. Um, and they were in there with the bait was just getting absolutely annoyed. Then I was like prawns and mullet, um, yeah. garfish, absolutely everything was getting absolutely yeah. hammered in there. The surface was just alive with activity, and it looked good too. Like it just, it just looked like there was fish there. It looked fishy. Yeah, um, I can't remember who I saw recently in a in a fishing video. But then they said something along those lines. Look, you usually trust your instincts. If it looks fishy, it probably is. Yeah, yeah it was just because the tide was ripping in there. Um, so there was just like little back eddies forming yeah. on, on the on the bends and um, and the little creek mouths that were in there. There was little back eddies and that, the actual water was flowing backwards in a couple of spots. Oh well, yeah, that's because oh, one of, one of the factors there is because this this particular creek goes out and opens out to the Gulf at the other end. Yeah. So even though the tide was coming in, it was coming in from both directions. Yeah. So the, where we were at the time, it it was it's as if the tide was going out. Even mm. though like it was going towards the Gulf, but it was obviously yeah meeting in the middle and yeah, yeah so it, it was quite dynamic in there. Mm. Yeah, so at this stage, yeah, so we've landed what three barrow. They're all all small, but still good. And, to, good to have some action. And, and we'd gone back to like we'd given up on trolling with big lures and deep yeah. divers, and we're just in very shallow water using small lures. I think you were using the gold bomber. Yeah. Uh, actually, I was using a gold bomber too for a bit, yeah. and then a soft plastic. The, the vibe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you end up hooking a decent barra, a 70 odd yeah. centimetre barra. Fish, fish of the day, that one. Um, on the soft vibe. Um, again, just in one of those little back eddies, little creek mouth. Potentially um, the most silver barra I've ever seen, that one. Yeah, very, very chrome <laughs> coloured, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, real nice fish. So, But we, yeah, we weren't keeping any or anything like that, so we, yeah, returned him back. And then, yeah, we kept pushing on all the way out to the mouth of uh, Warren Inlet, out, back out to the actual Gulf again. And, um, again, fish were just, yeah, you, you could actively actually see bar up in the shallows, yeah. chasing bait everywhere. So yeah. we got stuck into those and, and casted a few creek mouths. And then, you got, uh, then, we, then we did actually do a little bit of trolling, but with shallow divers yeah. along the shallow sort of flat um, on the edge of the channel at the mouth of Warren Inlet, yeah. where you hooked up another barra. Again, I'm not sure, you know, maybe 70 odd centimetres or something again. Something like it that. In, it was in the 60s. I don't even think we even measured it, but it was a legal fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was my fish of the day. I was I was pretty happy with that. In fact, no, it wasn't. On the video, like, I remember even saying that I was... It wasn't dis- the plan, yeah. Yeah, I was, I'm holding it up to the camera saying, look, I'm actually disappointed in this fish because, yeah, we're, it, it's not the plan that we had for the day. Our plan was to come out, target the big ones, catch one or two big fish each and, and mm-hmm. high-five each other on the way home. But... It it obviously really work, yeah like. not even close to that. So it was a weird feeling holding up a legal size barra money. Some some people come up here and and fish for five days straight on their first trip ever, and and they don't even catch a barra. Yeah. You know, so for me to be saying being disappointed in it, it's a bit yeah, it's it's not the right feeling you should have. But yeah, it's only because that wasn't the specific plan. Yeah, that's it. I mean, obviously, yeah, the plan was to catch big fish, but we're going to give that another go this afternoon after we finished up here. We're going to go upstream and, and fish some snags, a completely different scenario. Yeah. Um, but we're going to we're going to troll up some uh, some really deep ledges and some snags. Yeah. Again, use the sounder, try and find something on the side imaging, and then, um, yeah, try and convert something from the side imaging into an actual fish on the deck. Yeah. Um, but oh. We've had some stories of people going upstream and yeah. seeing some big fish, so... Yeah, well, I've... Been- 
I've, I suppose I've been up there a dozen times before mm. uh, and fished up there. We've always got one or two, um, but I haven't fished a whole heap up there. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure you have, though. You, you used to go yeah. up with your brother. 15 years ago or yeah. more ago, you know. Well, did you go up from there or did you come down you from Borrow? Down, down from Borrow yeah, sometimes, cool. yeah. And then um, and fish along the banks just here. So, yeah. Um, yeah, right on dark sort of thing. And uh, yeah, you used to get some some good fish along the banks there. So people that have been here would know what a sort of Jenny Flats or just up, just upstream of Jenny Flats yep. along um, colloquially known as Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, it's um, one of those cliffs are. Yeah, yep. So then deep ledges there. So we're gonna give that a go this afternoon. So are we specifically looking for um, for laying down logs and stuff like that? Yeah. So any any sort of structure where the barrows might hide, obviously. But and then deep deep banks too. Um, they're sort of undercut. So obviously the the fish will be sort of under those under those ledges. So um, yeah, try and get hard up against the bank in that deep water because it does drop off really really quick. Yeah. The bank's almost vertical. So um, yeah, try and get in there and yeah. uh, see reckon, if we can find something. I reckon that tide would have been coming in for about at least a couple of hours. This was really low low this morning. Yeah. But um, obviously up here we're so far up the river that the it's almost the opposite. When, yeah. it, when it's low down there, it's high up here. Sort yeah. of, you know, there's no, there's no actual. Sort of three to four hours behind usually, yeah, but yeah, yeah depending it does on the change. size and everything. Yeah, yeah. So it should have been coming up for a couple of hours now. Mm. Yeah. So I think that that'll be prime yeah. time right on sunset. I reckon. So yeah, talking, um, sort of talking tackle again. Like the the plan will be to use those deep dive, bigger deep diving yeah. lures. So and obviously the the theory behind that is is. On those deep banks, those fish are more likely to be down lower um, until they're you know properly feeding on the surface, but potentially at night time where they yep. come, come right up. But um, yeah, uh, usually what we find is those fish are down lower, so we use them and we take some big fish again. So we're on b bigger lures, deep divers, um, get right down and uh, try and bounce over some of those uh, trees that are in the on the bottom there and um, on those deep ledges. So yeah, we'll use those like again the uh, deep diving classics. Um, warlocks, uh, things like that, um, and then yeah, you can use uh, plastics and that as well if you if you want to cast. But we're just going to troll. Um, yep. I think we're going to take bullfrog for a spin if yeah, he's keen. Yeah, bullfrog finished work yesterday and uh, rocked up in camp, and yeah, he's keen to go for a fish. Yeah, so it'll be pretty cruisy afternoon. Yeah. Just um, have a couple of zero alcohol beers and <laughs> while you boys get on it, and yep. um, <laughs> uh, yeah, just have a bit of a leisurely troll as the sun's setting and uh, see if we can't um, convert something. But yeah. So in terms of sort of tackle, like um, especially if you haven't been here before, that's um, probably a good thing to have a discussion about is the different types of lures and stuff people could actually go and buy um, before they come up. So, you know, for your trolling for barra and stuff, like we've mentioned already, like barra classics, um, warlocks. Yes. Um, you know, um, you know, bigger deep diving lures if you if you like trolling and if you just want to target big fish, that's trolling is definitely the easiest way to locate fish and to and to convert. Um, bigger fish especially. I'd say almost any hard-bodied lure by Reedy's. Yeah. Um, whether it's the, they've got the Taipan, the Little yeah. Lucifer, the Little B-52, Junior B-52 they call it, then B-52, Big B-52, Big Ass mm. B-52. Yeah. They're, they're all good lures. I know I, I had, like, we're not sponsored by anyone or anything like that, but I, I do particularly like the Reedy's lures because they are NT brand and NT owned. Well, the good thing about them too is that they, they all come out tough. You don't have to change any trebles or anything like that. Straight out of the box, you can use them. Like they're, they're, they're built they're for solid, big yeah. yeah, they're solid, solid yeah. big trebles on them, uh, solid rings. So yeah, um, you don't have to worry about um, you know yeah losing fish with those. Um, as you do like some brands, you get um, especially back in the day like Gold Bombers when you used to get them. Those early, back in the early days, they used to have tiny trebles yeah. on them for you know for catching bass and things like that in the yeah. states. So aren't, aren't they? I reckon they're like uh, made in Argentina or something like that. Uh, Mexico, I think. Mexico, I was mm. close. South, was... South America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, years ago when I was a kid, I remember we used to order them from like Bass Pro Shops or something like that. Yeah. You'd, you'd order them by like a literally carton of them at the yeah. time. So. Um, yeah. But yeah, you used to have to change all the trebles and stuff, and that's one yeah. good thing with that. Like obviously, Reedy's Territory Company, you know, they're yeah, all uh, good rings, good trebles, everything. Well, that's straight out of the box, so um, you know, and very competitively priced compared to some of the other ones that are, you know, um, made uh, overseas. So yeah, um, and it's a small enough company that um, Colin and Karen they physically um, hand deliver the the boxes of lures to the the uh, tackle shops in Darwin. Yeah. I used to work at BCF for a little while there in, in Darwin, maybe five years ago, right when my, my son Artie was first born. 
Um, I worked there and yeah, they, they would literally, like the owners of the of Reading's Laws would come in and, and deliver the laws to BCF. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was, yeah. Small business, but yeah, but big, big business, you know. Like. Yeah, yeah. And they make vibes now, like yeah. uh, they have for a while. So uh, what are they called? Fish snacks, yeah. yeah. So, and they're quite good. Again, you know. Good hardware uh, on them. Like most soft vibes you see, um, they all look very similar. Yeah. But where they, where you can sort of tell them apart is the actual quality of the um, terminal tackle on, like the, the trebles and rings and things like that is what, what tells them apart. You get you, you get what you pay for. So, I with with vibes, like if yeah. if you go on eBay or something and find some cheap vibes, you, mm. yeah, we we used them. Yeah. We, we used to use them years ago. I went on eBay and bought some cheap vibes, and yeah, the amount of um, straightened hooks, snap hooks, snap trebles we would get mm. every now and then would still land a, a good fish. But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of damage to the lures after after a few hits. Yeah, yeah. So that hardware is really important. So, um, so that's sort of barrel barrel lures and stuff that we use most of the time, and yeah. uh, and that you know they're still good for um, you know threadies and jacks and yeah. all of you know queenies and all that stuff you catch around the estuaries and stuff. But then outside, like um, you know, if you if you're trolling outside and you're chasing you know uh, pelagics like mackerel and stuff like that, like you usually use things like laser pros, like Halco laser pros yeah. and things. They're much bigger lures. Um, again, deeper divers and, um, yeah. and fast trolling lures. That would be the most popular for sure. Laser yeah. pros, yeah. yeah. In the Qantas, redhead yeah. and uh, white body. Um, although, you know, I've done a bit, a little bit of research lately and I've, I've heard a few stories about it previously, is that lure colour can be a massive thing, especially in those deep diving, um, uh, with deep diving lures. Once they get sort of, um, you know, uh, even in clear water, like once it gets to sort of eight, 10 meters, something like that, which if you're trolling out there for, for you know, big, big fish, like, you know, big Mackies and then maybe even uh, billfish and things like that, um, you know, the color has a massive impact because obviously the light doesn't make through the water that far. So yeah. um, so the deeper you go, the the more, I, th I think it is, the, the more colors that it loses. Yeah, There's correct. certain colors that you lose first. Yeah. I think even that comes in with uh, videography. I think you're put, meant to put like a, a red filter on your lens or something if you're going down deep. Yeah, well, like so um, obviously you, even though you can't see it, like it's invisible light, but UV light still travels a lot deeper than obviously um, visible light. So um, colours like, I think red is the first colour that white doesn't reflect light. Um, yeah. And then as you get deeper, then yellow, um, then green, then blue, then purple. So purple is and and that's uh, i know we've got a mutual friend that um that targets big fish and trolling and he only buys the laser pros in purple yeah um, one lure that's it yeah um different so different diving depths but but yeah the, 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 one, the one purple lure yeah yeah and and that's also because it's not just how deep the lure is but how far away the fish is from the lure as well so looking yeah, at the so um so purple reflects uv light a lot better than than anything else so um so yeah, purple's a good colour if you are chasing um, sort of fish and you're heading out wide. That's, yeah. a, that's a good colour. So obviously that would be less relevant in, in a dirty creek chasing barra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, in the dirty water, that's when you start to go the, the sort of more flashy party colours, you know what I mean? Like the, the yeah, it's well, something that will stand out. It depends too. Like there's some people th th theorise that, um, you know, if you're fishing in dirty water, then you want a, a, um, a dirt, like a, a, a darker colour lure, like a brown lure. You don't yeah, want it to okay. be too, too flash. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's a million different theories that... There's also another theory that the 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 colour is for the fishermen only, not for the yeah, fish. Yeah, you know? yeah. The lures are painted pretty colours to catch fishermen, not fish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, but certainly UV light is reflected. Yeah, um, there is actually some science to that. By purple, and you can actually buy lures, and you'll see some that actually have on the packaging um, UV. Um, so they actually put like a coating on it, yeah. and you can't see, but it's a, it's a UV yeah. coating. So the coating on the actual lure, depending, doesn't matter what the colour of the lure is, it's got a coating on it that will reflect UV light. So which fish apparently can see. Yeah. We, we, it's not, not yeah, visible okay. to us, to the naked eye, but, but fish apparently can see it, so. Yeah, one time years back, um, back to Reedy's Lures, I went uh, went and visited the factory, and Colin took me out the back and actually showed me, um, turned the lights off and got his, um, like a UV torch and yeah, showed yeah. me some of the lures. Yeah. And they, they, they it's like, they glow, like in, in the UV. So this lure over here, he's like, oh, this one's not painted, so he shines it, nothing. But this one here, oh, it, it literally, glows in, yeah. in in the UV light. So when he's when he's done the special UV coating or UV paint or whatever he uses on some of the lures, 
Yeah, so typically, that, as you said, they will mark that on the box. Yeah, so it's got a UV coat, it, yeah. yeah. And it is just like a clear coat paint or something that they put on there. That I'm, I'm not certain, but I would assume so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's quite remarkable to, to see, yeah. Mm. And so so you've got your, your lures, um, you know, for like for our bar of fishing, like we were just using pretty much um, a couple of different combos. So um, both of us had um, bait casting reels, so small yep. sort of bait casting reels. Yeah. And... Um, well, for trolling, I had like a Calcutta 400, so bigger, bigger bait casting reel. Yeah. Um, and you were using like a Corrado, a Corrado on a Barrowator. On a Barrowator, yeah. yeah. So then that's pretty much all you need to catch big barrows. Um, and then uh, flicking, we're using the same, you know. Uh, well, I, I switched up to um, some like 10 pound gear actually with a two and a half thousand yeah. size spin reel. Um, and. Um, my favourite spin gear I actually didn't bring on me with with me on that trip. My favourite spin spin gear is my two and a half thousand uh, Stratic Shimano yeah, yeah. Stratic, yeah, with ten pound braid. Yeah, yeah it's that, good fun. That that's my favourite setup, except for except for one fish I've caught all of my biggest barra on on that on, yeah. on that exact setup. Yeah. Yeah, well, I got like my meter I got on the um, two and a half thousand um, spin reel. Yeah. Um, that and that was land based too. Yeah. And then that was what I got that barra on the other day with a soft vibe. Yeah. A small soft vibe the other day. Yeah. Um, and that was a fish snack actually, a Reedy's fish snack. Yeah. Um, actually, I bought it from the servo across the road here down in that the day before. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, picked that one out in the Guns and Roses colour, my favourite colour. Yeah. Um, um, so, and then in terms of line weight, so like two and a half thousand spin reel, like I just run ten pound on that. And yep. like I got my meat around that, so like, yep. and that was land based as well in yep. pretty tough country on a rock bar with snags and stuff around. So, ten pound braid, like it's ten pound test, but realistically the breaking strain of it would be a lot more. Yeah, um, it's you know if you if you get that lure snag and something, it's actually quite difficult to break. Yeah. So um so, and then you maybe, go maybe, to, maybe not for beginners though maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, for for beginners. I mean, well, when you worked at um, BCF there for a while, you would have spooled thousands of reels for people. Well, quite a lot, yeah. And yeah. so what, what was the main sort of thing? Well, yeah. on a bait caster, anyone that sort of knew what they were talking about, which was, yeah, quite a few people, um, they would it's stock standard 30-pound braid on, yeah. a, on a bait caster. It's like from, yeah, it, it's basically a barra setup. Yeah. Like, yeah, 30-pound is just what everyone goes for. Yeah. yeah. So Every now and then you go someone going a little bit lighter or a little bit heavier. Yeah. But 30 pounds, perfect, because you st still get plenty of casting distance, plenty of line on the spool. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, yeah, if you're not sure, then that's definitely the go-to, I think, too, is, yeah, 30 pound. And then you, that, that's good for a year. You can still cast easy enough with 30 pound. Um, it's good for trolling as well, and it's pretty tough. So, you know, you can get barrows hooked around some snags and stuff like that and still drag them out yeah. pretty easy. And then... With um, leader, like some people use like traces and stuff like that. Like I just use the same as you, mate, just like fluorocarbon leader. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, and again, like, you know, I run from sort of 20 pound leader on like a 10 pound spin setup, uh, like 20 pound leader. Yeah. And then um, I might run 10 pound leader, I've got a four pound spin setup on yeah. a 1000 size reel. I might use 10 pound leader on that. So your leader's usually just a bit bigger than than the braid yeah like in yeah. pound yeah that's how i go that's how i run as well yeah and then yeah so on our um like our, our um overheads like uh bait casters we're using sort of uh 40 pound to 50 pound yeah. uh leader on that and again this fluorocarbon um and then i use a uh, uh fg knot to time on what are you still doing all bright yeah Albright. that's the only one yeah you've you've showed me the fg a couple of times yeah. and yeah but I, I always just go back to the all bright well i used to use all bright all the time and it's pretty quick and easy to tie yeah the only reason i started really using the fg knot was because when i bought my um uh two and a half thousand size stella and i bought a, a um nrx luma so like it was nearly a two thousand dollar bloody combo <laughs> with ten pound on it. The the rod has got um, micro guides. Oh, tiny little eyelets. Yeah. Yeah. So you need you need to learn a thinner knot. Yeah. So even if you're only running sort of um, 15, 20 pound leader and ten pound braid, like even with an all right in there, it was really hard to get it through the uh, the eyelets. And when you're casting, it can sometimes get caught on the eyelets, and you don't want to be pulling you know eyelets out of a six hundred dollar rod. No. So um so. I learned that FG knot, and the FG knot for people that don't know is a, it's a uh, friction knot where you don't have to fold the leader over at all. So whatever the diameter of the leader is, is pretty much the diameter of the knot plus the diameter of the braid, and the braid's you know, point 
something of yeah, a millimetre yeah, thick. So, so it's very, very small, very uh, neat and tidy, and it's like almost unbreakable. Like it's it's almost 100% not strength on that as well. So, but it does take a little bit of practice to get it right. So you're not and four hands. It. And full hand. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's hard to explain how to do it probably on a podcast, but I, yeah. I use my feet actually. I, I um, put the braid in my mouth and then use my feet to hold the rod with some tension on the rod so the rod's bent so that the um, there's tension on the, braid, on the braid. And then I use the tension of the braid to keep the, the knot tight as I sort of splice that um, leader on there. But you can go on YouTube, there's a hundred different ways to do it. Yeah. There's even little tools you can buy now. That, I've that'll, seen that, yeah. yeah. So there's, but it's pretty easy to do once you've done a few of them. But, but that all right knot, I suppose, is that, you know, that's got um, pretty good um, break strength on it, and and yeah, the vast majority of people that I know just use that as well. Yeah. All bright, or advanced all bright. So. Yeah, there are a lot of knots out there as well. There's like the, the bimini twist and a, you know. What, yeah. What's there's one that goes the what go there's something that goes onto a bimini twist, isn't there? Yeah. So well, a bimini twist is, is to put a double in the line. So so for example, if I'm using like the four pound setup, um, that's four pound spin gear, I'll make a I'll do a bimini twist. So I've got a double in my braid, so that basically I've got my leader is tied to a double in the braid so then you've got actually got an eight pound sort of um you know yeah eight pound at the end of your yeah. you know before you between your your braid and your uh, leader makes sense now yeah so uh, and then you can do different things of that so like i used to just do uh, doing charters bottom fishing on heavy like um heavy gear like i used to run a 65 pound whiplash on the overheads there and um and we, you know, really big guys and stuff, and the rod didn't matter. We were running sort of 80, 100 pound leader um, with pattern oster rigs. And I used to just do like a spider hitch. So you just make a very small double, which you can do quite quickly in your hands on the end of your braid. And then I used to do from that to the leader used to be what they call a GT twist, which again is very, very easy to do. It's a bit of an ugly knot sort of thing though, and it is quite large. So it does get stuck in the tips of the, of like the um, tips of your rod. Which is less important if you're bottom if you're, bouncing. If you're bottom yeah, bouncing. You're not, you're you don't casting, need, yeah. yeah, and you don't need to bring that back in through there as well, because you're not running a really long leader. You know, the leader's only sort of 1200 mil long or something like that. Whereas on my, uh, on my gear here, like my, some of my leaders, I might they might be two to two meters long. Like my leaders, halfway back down the rod, you yeah. know, when I'm casting, which is fine when you're only running twenty pound leader yeah. and stuff on light gear. Mm. So, and talking about that, so yeah, the difference between um, trolling versus casting as well. So um, obviously, the lighter the braid and the lighter the leader you're using, and then then the nicer you make your knots. The much easier it's going to be to cast and cast smoothly. Yeah. And if you like, you know, especially if you're new to it, like setting your reel up properly so um, you're not getting overruns and stuff, a big part of that as well is making sure your knots and everything are nice and smooth so you're not, you know, so that line's pulling a consistent tension the whole way out, out through, your, through your guides and your rod um, so you're not getting overruns and stuff because that's a very frustrating thing if you're just getting into fishing. I mean, if you, if you know what you're doing, then this is probably all. You know, it's no news to you, but um, for people that aren't really sure, um, you know, yeah, practice at home, get a sinker and tie it to the end of your, end of your line and let the uh, cast into a bucket, you yeah. know, because there's nothing worse than getting up here, being in the heat um, or sometimes the cold and standing there at the front of the boat all day and getting bird's nest after bird's nest, you know. Yeah. Make sure if you're sitting it down at home on the weekend and you're not really sure, get your gear out, give it a good clean up, you know, practice your knots, and then get out there and do some practice casting and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, I don't, and I've seen it plenty of times, people will just end up going back to just trolling, and which, as as it was for us a couple of days ago, mate, it's quite boring, especially when you're not bloody having um, hookups. So. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of trolling. No, it gets pretty boring. Yeah, pretty you know, I can see how it can it can be the most productive way to catch catch barra, just because you, you're just constantly covering ground. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, me being a, a video maker, like. It's not very exciting to go edit for like so. I literally from our trip two days ago, I've got the first four hours of the trip pretty much. Yeah, I, I have to be, I have to have have it recording. So I can't, I can't miss the hookup, you know. Yeah, so, especially so, if it's going to be a, a you know a big fish, yeah. you know, 80, 90 meter or yeah. something like. So so the first four hours is like I didn't know we weren't going to catch anything for four hours. So as a result, I've now got four hours like of of, of trolling. Yeah. 
Like there is there is a little bit little hidden gems of us like uh, yeah, give, like giving each other a bit of. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a few little gems in there, but um, you gotta be careful when you get yeah. your mic'd up and sometimes you yeah. say something under your breath and you use it later on. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, four hours of yeah, literally. Where are the Gigi? What do we call that? The it's a, the, the, action, it, like the action, yeah. It's, it's definitely a Barramundi thing. Like I, oh yeah, for uh, sure. Like I've never seen it anywhere else. Yeah, you wouldn't do it for Marlon or something. No, <laughs> no, you would have saw it. Yeah, you would have seen it in 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 videos. Everyone would have seen it. Yeah, the whole jig and everyone everyone do, does their own individual style as well. Yeah, so basically just trying to get the lure to um to work basically. So yeah. rather than just sitting there with the rod in the rod holder. And I've done this before with, with punders, especially in the fresh, like not the freshwater, but upstream around snags and stuff. You're trolling over and you can see fish on the sounder and you're trolling over it and the punders just got their uh, their rod in the rod holder. I want me and my missus and stuff like, she just got the rod in the rod holder. I'm like, get the bloody rod out, hold on to it yeah. and actually make the lure work. So when I'm watching, I can see there's a fish on the sounder and I know exactly what tree it's under. And I can say, right, your lure's just coming over now, work your lure. So, yeah. so I reckon that what I like to do, I'll work it and then I'll bring it back as well. So it's like a pause, because as yeah. the boat's moving, work, work, work. And then if I know we're going over through a zone like where you've seen fish on the sounder, yeah, yeah, work, work, work. And then the pause, the pause is so important with uh, barra fishing. Yeah, especially when you're fishing those snags in the cooler months and that, like it's when they're not as active and they're not, they're not um, you know, they, sometimes you've got to get right hard up against that timber. Yeah. And I've had some like old fellas bloody tell me, you know, back in the day, they used to actually go along that, actually bump into the, the old dead trees and stuff on like purpose. that to, on yeah. purpose to try and get, you know, to wake the barrow up. And, and yeah, give, I have you know, heard that, wake them up, yeah. Give them a bit of notice that you're there. Um, but you've got to get the lures in there close and you've got to work them because you can troll over it a hundred times and not get a touch. Um, but then you, you work that lure properly and get the lure to, at the right depth which again is an important thing as well, especially at that, that time of year, like when it's cooler and you're fishing those uh, dead logs and stuff like that. If you're watching fish on your sounder and they're sitting at four metres, there's no point having a metre uh, you know, deep diver on there, like a gold bomber or something like that, yeah. shallow dive and lure, because it, it's it's three metres away from the fish. The fish is not going to come up and, and eat it. You yeah. know? You've got to get the lures right down there next to them. Um, you know, that's a very important thing. and And... A lot of the times you've got it, you know, if I wasn't losing lures on the timber, trolling up there and then things, I wasn't doing it properly. Like you've got to get the lures right in there. And one of the best things for, for hooking up for especially bigger fish, sometimes when you've got a, a log or something like that that's coming sort of um, uh, parallel with the surface or parallel with the bottom yeah. and you're trolling over the top of it and you, with a deep dive, a lot of time the bib will hit it, not the trebles. Yeah. Uh, and like I used to use floating lures a lot and down timber floating lures like Tilson's and stuff. And when I, when I felt the uh, the lure actually hitting the log, I just tip, put my rod tip right back, even put it on free spool if I could, oh, yeah. and just give it a couple of seconds to float up and then jig it forward. And as soon as you jig it forward, because the barrels are sitting directly under oh. that log, as soon as you jig it forward, just all of a sudden, boof, and you just, yeah, you know straight away you're on. You're getting me excited about this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get myself excited about this afternoon, mate. <laughs> you always went out the other day, like because I was absolutely cooked. So we've, after we'd been fishing, uh, yeah, two days ago because it was in the punt, so there's no shade. It was well, the water temperature was like 37 degrees, so yep. the air temperature in the full sun must have been close to 50. <laughs> I was absolutely cooked by the end of the day, and then so on the way home, I was like, "Oh, well, how about I'll just drop you off and I'll, I'll go I'll go upstream and have a have a fish up there." <laughs> and yeah, by the time we got back to the ramp, you talk yourself out of it. But yeah, no, I remember I promised Katie I was going to go home and uh, cook a dinner, mate, because she was working a pub that night, so. Um, but yeah, we've still got the boat there ready to go. What'd you cook? Filled up. Oh, what did I cook, mate? Um, corned beef. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very easy one. <laughs> so yeah, so we're going to give that a go this afternoon. Um, so hopefully, uh, maybe, maybe in not next week's podcast, but the one week after we'll do a debrief of that. Yeah. Yep. We'll have a discussion about it. Yeah. Hopefully we've... Because we have done a bit of a cheat. We actually have recorded next week's podcasts. Yeah. Already. Already. Next week's podcast is already recorded, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so is the one, two after that. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're trying, to get it, trying to get it all lined up so that we don't have like four weeks in a row where there's not nothing, so... Yeah, so, over Christmas I'm going down to South East Queensland and Ash isn't, so yeah. So yeah, we're just trying to get things backed up, so we've got, um, and we're just trying to keep things as topical as possible, so... Yeah, yeah, uh, we don't want to talk about something happening 
that's happened two months ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so this will be yeah. This is episode four. So it's um, as we're here now. It won't come out in, for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. As episode two published today. Yeah, episode two. Yeah, yes, it's just just <laughs> gone out. So, um, so yeah. Um, with that, um, things that have been happening lately. Um, AGM just had their uh, AGM. AGM just had their AFN. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. Zero, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so with that, yeah, AFN just had their AGM, um, which obviously um, King Ash Bay Fishing Club is a um, is a member of the uh, AFN, so Amateur Fishermen's Association of the Northern Territory. Um, and I um, I zoomed into that. They had. So they invited you. Yeah, yeah. So um, all members obviously um, are invited, and, and other other people of note are invited to. Uh, to, to speak and things like that. So um, so I zoomed in, obviously they, they hold that AGM in Darwin, so I um, attended via Zoom, which was good. Um, yeah, plenty of stuff came out of that. They obviously elected um, elected the uh, uh, committee members again, and I think it's all the same, all the same members again. Unchanged, eh? Unchanged, I believe, yeah. So, um, yeah, still the same president, Warren DeWitt, and, and um, yeah, they uh, obviously gave their, you know, the spiel on what's been going on for the last 12 months. Um, I spoke about, um, which we, we did talk about, I think, in our episode one, maybe, or episode two, about the 10-year wreck fishing study. Yeah, um, yeah, we did cover that, cover some of that, yeah. So, yeah, so David um, Trivolo, the CEO um, of Affant, spoke about that a little so bit more so, in depth. So he's not an elected person, like he's... he's yeah, no, he's a CEO. Yeah, yeah, so he's actually, like, a paid... That, that's his That's his job. full-time yeah. job, man. He's been doing that for about seven years, yeah. you know, and does a bloody good job he of it, does too. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, he's a great bloke, doing a great job in there. Um, always keeps um, all the uh, people in government and fisheries and that honest and, and keeps us up to date and yeah. always I, make sure everyone's happy. So I, I find as well, we're always uh, willing to listen as well. Like uh, Yeah, you're a very good communicator. Yeah. Even when um, oh, you were up in Darwin um, last year at the start of the year and mm-hmm. you, you and me went into the city to go buy some tackle or something and uh, we actually ran into him and yeah, he, he had spoke with you you did have a few concerns about mm. certain things with fishing and and that and yeah we spoke to him for half an hour mm-hmm. yeah and he was yeah, very responsive enough then yeah and followed followed it up as well yeah 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 no he's no he's a great bloke there and yeah so he spoke about that um 10-year wreck fishing plan just gave some stats and stuff so spoke about how important that um um uh, that research has been you know um and uh you know how that sort of evolved and and uh, how it all came about and uh spoke about you know that what wreck fishing does for the northern territory so it's, you know it's 270 million dollars into our economy so um which is a uh, you know obviously a, a fair bit we'll pause for this dropper again we didn't, have to different one. we didn't hear it take off did we no that's it taking off now right? oh it's taken off yeah. all right yeah Right, yeah, how many million did you say? Uh, $270 million um, wreck fishing puts into the NT economy, um, which is, you know, that's a, you know, over a million dollars for every thousand people in the territory. Yeah. So um, that's a, a that's qu- a lot. A quarter of a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're just a little helicopter. territory here. <laughs> <laughs> bloody helicopters cruising around. Um, you might be able to hear it, you might not, but it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, so $270 million into the NT economy from um, from recreational fishing. That's just recreation, that's not in commercial that's, prize as well. That does include commercial fishing, no. no. So well, that's just rec fishing. And uh, I also spoke about the participation of um, Territorians when it comes to rec fishing. So um, they work out that 33% of Territorians um, uh, go out and wet a line, um, as opposed to, I think it's just over about 20%, or maybe 22% is the national average. Um, so, con- and you know, considering the territory, you get two hundred fifty thousand people. Well, there's quite a few of those live in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek and Caffin, which is a long, <laughs> long way from the coast. Yeah, they're not fishing there. <laughs> no, so um, well, Caffin maybe a little bit, but yes. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, you know quite impressive that yeah, thirty three percent of Territorians, you know, um, are, are going out there fishing. So, which is quite good. Um, also spoke about um, uh, some other things that have been going on with uh, uh, groundwater harvesting. Um, so obviously. Uh, companies, you know, uh, people growing cotton now in the territory, and and um, other farming, uh, mining, and other things that are taking water. So I think I believe previously, um, uh, 20% of groundwater was allowed to be taken. So so rainfall and things like that was allowed to be taken for those sort of activities. I think the government's now reduced that down to five percent, I believe. So. That's quite important because, you know, especially you know, look at places like the Roper River, um, you know, their catchment's sort of only a 100 kilometre radius. If you take 20% of the water that, you know, falls in that catchment, then, um, you know, 
that's you know obviously is not great for uh, for fishing, especially if we have poor wet seasons. Yeah. Um, so you know we want that water to you know the vast majority of that water to get downstream and and um, you know so those barrows can uh, reproduce as we spoke about previously. You know we talked about good wet seasons and yeah. um, uh, and the flow-on effects from good wet seasons and poor wet seasons. Um, and we had uh, actually last night um, Affant uh, had a fishery scientist on there. So the guy's done his PhD in um, in uh, basically barramundi and um, their life cycle which was very interesting talking um, as he spoke about that. You know, I learned a couple of things um, or, you know, um, confirmed some, some things we for us. We interviewed him so. on the podcast. Oh, mate, it'd be great. He's <laughs> a very, very knowledgeable fella. Um, this, a PhD, so like, it, there's, a, there's a real chance that he knows more about Barramundi than anyone else on the planet. Good chance there's of it, mate. a fair mate. chance. So, yeah. Good chance of it. He spoke about, um, about Barramundi fishing in the Territory um, and obviously enjoys a bit of fishing himself, but... You know, he spoke about it like uh, the territory is one of the only places in the world where, you know, the the fishery is sort of unchanged for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. So, you know, there's been very little impact from fishing, whether it be wreck fishing, commercial fishing, uh, in terms of fish stocks. Yeah. Well, we, before we started recording, you even mentioned this. We, we talked about. He said even places with netting and stuff like. Yeah, so basically what he was um, what he was saying was obviously things like netting and stuff has an impact on on the fish stocks there at that particular time. Yeah. But um, the the real importance is is the wet seasons. So and the, the climate. So if we have um, poor wet seasons, uh, the barra just don't breed anywhere near as much. So the fishing's poor for for that season. Um, and then obviously. Um, if you have a good wet season, the fishing is good for that season. And when they actually uh, put the data together on the on an actual graph between the um, catch per ton of uh, barramundi on commercial from commercial operators and then the wet season rainfall data, the two graphs run parallel like train tracks, like yeah. they're almost identical. It's so always good common wet season coming. and barristocks, bad wet season barristocks. Yeah, uh, yeah, up down, up down, like, and they both, yeah. Almost a carbon copy of each yeah. other. So, um, yeah, it was just quite interesting. Um, I mean, we've spoken about it before. We know there's there's good fishing when you have good wet seasons. Yeah. Good, good crabbing when you've had good wet seasons. Yeah. Well, he's got the data to prove it. But absolutely, got the got the uh, the empirical data there, which is um, you know it's you know been around for a while. But you know the studies that he's been doing has absolutely proven that to be one hundred percent accurate. Um, and then speaking about things like. Um, you can take a lot of uh, the big female fish out of a, out of an area, um, and although that'll affect the obviously the big fish numbers there at that time, that won't really affect the um, the bounce back of fish numbers uh, because after a good wet season, like you said, one meter long barra can produce you know three to four million eggs, whereas if you get a meter thirty meter forty barra. Um, the amount of eggs there is uh, it's exponential. They could they could um, have forty to fifty million eggs. Wow! So you know, then big girls, you know, only only a handful of really big fish can can you know pretty much restock a, an entire area. So, yeah. So um, yeah, that's a that was like forty million eggs. Even if there's a ninety percent. 95% mortality rate, it's still replenishing a lot of fish back into that system. It's, yeah, well, that's Just it. one fish can do that. That's amazing. So, yeah, 100% um, it comes down to the good wet seasons, and that, that being because when you have good wet seasons, the um, billabongs and um, sections of the river that are cut off during the dry season all join together. Um, and uh, he spoke about, like, the biomass um, increases. So, so not just fish, but all the frogs and bugs and insects and the, the whole food chain yeah. builds up. And so yeah. the biomass... The whole ecosystem, everything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, increases exponentially when with big wet seasons. Therefore, the fish can move, they can eat, they can feed, they can get down to the mouth, they can reproduce, and then they can get back to those billabongs again. So not only that, like when you have a good wet season, so uh, we're uh, 2023 now, if we have a good wet season this year, the barrel reproduce in places like the MacArthur River, he said, uh, for fish to become legal size could be, you know, four to five years potentially. So that means if we have a good wet season now, it could be 2027, 2028 before we see the, the actual fish from this year's wet season uh, actually being caught and, and, and that, that stock coming to fruition yeah, there. Yeah, okay. So, um, so, and you can nearly set your watch by it. Um, as he says, 
you can go back and look at when the good wet seasons were. And if there was a good wet season, you know, four or five years ago here, that means we should have a lot of good fish uh, that are coming into that legal size range. Yeah. Um, so, and then he also spoke about places like the Mary River, which has obviously massive floodplains, which we don't have here. Um, obviously, when they get a good wet season, places like that, they're not up at the top of the daily, the moil, and places where there's massive floodplains, where that biomass can build up a lot more than it can here. Those fish may only take two to three years to become legal size. So, and, and that's all bit all uh, research. And for people that don't know how they work that out, is they actually go and catch fish then um whether by by rod and reel or um electro um, fishing yeah. whatever um where they put an electric probe into the water and the fish float up and they take them and they actually examine the um the ear bones um of the fish and then they can count a sort of like rings on a tree to see how many years old it is so in some places they, they'll take a fish say from the mary river and uh, it might be 55 centimetres when they dissect it and look at it and put it under the microscope, they can say, well, this fish is only three years old. It's only been around for three seasons, but it's legal size. Whereas they might take a fish that's 55 centimetres or 60 centimetres from, from our area here down the MacArthur, where we don't have those big floodplains, and um, they can go and look at it and they can say, well, it's been around for five to six years. So um, so that was quite interesting to learn that the, there's a quite a big difference between you know um, the fish growth rates uh, compared to obviously um, their habitat. So I wonder if that, that is a contributing factor at places like Shady Camp, which is at the mouth of the Mary River, mm -hmm. where they they do seem to get a lot of big fish there. So I wonder yep. if that that's a factor because they potentially grow faster and breed more. And well, yeah, I suppose if you look at it like that, is that um, you know if a fish is taking five years to get to legal size here then it could be, to get to a metre, it could be 10 years old. Yeah. Whereas if it's, you know, two to three years at the Mary, it could only be, you know, four to six years before it's a metre there. Yeah. So, you know, nearly twice as quick. So, you know, that, that's potentially why there, why there is a lot of big fish caught there compared yeah. to here. Not saying there's not big fish here. There's plenty of big fish gets caught, get, get caught, caught here, but not in the same numbers as Mary. Um, then again, though, we don't have the effort probably for the people actually targeting big fish yeah. like I do at the Mary River as yeah, well. Yeah, so right, it's, yeah. So it is sort of, um, yeah, hard to um, hard to say that. But the PhD dude, like, how how long did he speak for at this stage? Yeah, uh, probably twenty minutes, half an hour. Yeah, right. Yeah. So with questions and things. So like he's that. like, a, like he's not on the committee or anything. He's just a guest speaker. No, he works for fisheries. So he's a okay. fisheries scientist. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so yeah, work, works for fisheries. Um, has done for quite a while, I think. So um, um, yeah, and obviously, yeah, very very intelligent, and he spent his you know his whole career looking at barramundi. So yeah. Um, yeah, it was very interesting to learn some of those some of those facts about the fish and um, yeah. you know the correlation between good wet seasons and poor wet seasons and yeah. good fish numbers, poor fish numbers, and that you know basically you know more or less saying within reason it's very difficult to to overfish for barramundi, yeah, um, especially wreck fishing. Um, although uh, you know for wreck fishing in the territory, obviously we don't want um, as you know a lot of commercial effort in places where there's a lot of wreck e effort. Yeah. Um, he, you know, obviously commercial guys are taking bigger fish um, and so they're taking them out of the system. So therefore, obviously, there's less fish for recreational guys to catch yeah. for that year, although it doesn't affect the stocks overall over a period of time. Yeah. Um, you know, if if the pro guys are coming in and, and, you know, netting out the mouth of the, the MacArthur, for example, and they're taking, you know, 30 or 40 tonne of big barra out of there well that's 30 or 40 tonne that's not there for for tourists to catch Absolutely, so yeah. that's something that obviously you know um afant need to look at with you know in, in regards to what their stance is on commercial fishing yeah um i know in queensland now it uh, looks like they're going to ban all baronetting in um in the gulf of carpentaria in queensland and there's a lot of stuff happening on on the east coast as well um, yeah. The government's put a lot of money, you know, over 100 million dollars, I believe, aside in Queensland to um, buy back licenses and oh, things good, like yeah. that. So, because obviously you don't want to have a, a situation where, you know, you've got a family business. We spoke about this a bit when we were fishing. We you, know, you know, a family business, generational business, or something like that, where, you know, somebody spent their whole life doing it, and then all of a sudden you don't want the government just coming and saying, no, stop, you can't do it anymore. Yeah, it needs to be a, a reasonable. Um, transition so yeah um, some of these people might have might have done this their whole life they, mm. their dad might have done it they might they might have taken on the family business yeah and now they're 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 doing that and then to find out that that's all they know yeah to find out that they're not allowed to do that anymore but that's just, yeah obviously a like a, a big change obviously yeah. like the, any change is, is going to affect 
some people negative negatively and some people positively. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it, yeah, it's a, obviously a difficult job to try and keep keep everyone happy. But yeah. Yeah. But if we move on, uh, our fan, they are, it's not just about barramundi though, is it? No, 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 no. Look, after all, all sort of um, recreational fishing in the territory. So yep. um, from yeah, land based in Darwin around the lakes and things like that to yep. um, to offshore. And you know, they spoke about um, you know getting trying to get funding for things like um, uh, offshore um, fads like fish attracting devices. Yeah, and which like there that. are quite a few around the top end already. Yeah, around yeah. Off, off Darwin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, quite a few out there, So, um, which people can go out. So basically there's man-made reefs and things that attract fish yeah. over time and um, you know, people go out and get jewels and goldies and stuff off yeah. them. Um, See, we're so lucky here, we don't even need anything like no, that here. No, certainly not at the moment. No, no we've got plenty of fish here, but obviously a place like Darwin Harbour, which... You know, does get um, you know does get fish quite um, heavily. Yeah. Um, you want um, things in there. They did speak about some places in Darwin that have been closed out, or you know, close to Darwin that have been closed down, like some reefs that have been closed down there. Yeah. Um, and closed from fishing. Closed from wreck fishing yeah. completely. Yeah. Just to let stocks build up because obviously things like golden snapper and black jewfish are um, what they refer to as at, at risk species. Yeah. So um, so they don't want to have full open slather everywhere. They want to have some places where fish can, you know, stocks can build up. Yeah. And, and that's the difference, I suppose, between um, things like golden snapper and barra. Yeah. Like a golden snapper, a good-sized golden snapper could be 40 or 50 years that's old. That's right, yeah. They grow very slowly um, and they don't re reproduce as anywhere near as much as, as barra either. So, yeah. So, I, think you know, black, I think black jewfish, even though they say at risk, um, I think they are a far, one of the fast growing ones, I reckon. Uh, yeah, I think they're fast growing as well, but they're, yeah. because they're susceptible to barotrauma and, yeah. and often, although it's shallow here and we get a few here, yeah. in Darwin, obviously, you're fishing a lot deeper water and they're susceptible to barotrauma. So even if you're getting yeah. small ones and you're throwing them back, they're going to die anyway. So. And was um, it people keep the, the swim bladder or something in them? Yeah, that, that's, you know, obviously against the law to remove the swim bladder from, yeah, from okay. those. Um, because people do do that, they take the swim bladder around. It's a it's a uh, I don't know where that goes to um, overseas, China or something like that. And, yeah. Um, what is it like yeah. a delicacy or a? Uh, I'm not sure exactly, mate. I don't know. I don't think I don't think it's eaten. I think it's um, oh, okay. Um, obviously it's ingested, but I don't think it's eaten as food. I don't think. I think it's uh, they, they use it to make some sort of medicine or yeah, right, some okay. some thing. They dry it out or something. Yeah. And, okay. So um, extremely expensive on the black market. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so people take those out of the jewfish and well, not supposed to, but people can take those out of them, the the jewies and sell them. So it's actually against the law, um, part of the rules and regs. You're not supposed to remove that swim bladder from the fish at all. Yeah, okay. So uh, you take the fillets and that's it. Uh, leave the swim bladders in there. Um, and also, yeah, they look at look after things like billfish as well. So um, Afant just um, uh, was able to secure some funding for GPS tags for billfish research. Yeah, okay. So for marlin, sailfish, that sort of stuff, um, which we've touched on here. Um, people were getting some big marlin and sailfish yeah, here recently. recently yeah. um, well, one fish that got tagged up at Grid Island, which isn't that far north north of us, um, six month, uh, after six months was relocated again um, up in Indonesia. So they've gone a the whole way from um, basically the east coast of Grid Island all the way up into Indonesia around the top end and... Uh, spent a bit of time off Nullumboy and then, yeah, went all the way up to, to Indo. Yeah, in six months. I wonder if that's part of a migration or like if, you, if they, they look for the, the breeding grounds or schools of... Mm -hmm. But you think there's plenty of bait and food and stuff in the Gulf. Like, mm -hmm. There's no need for him to leave leave the Gulf. There's plenty of food. So it has to be part of a, a greater a greater cause. Yeah, absolutely yeah. no idea at all. Yeah, mate, but that's but... amazing though to, that they can track that. So they must have a little mm. GPS that pings or something once a day or something like that. Or yeah, there wasn't sure. there, there was an image of it there. Um, once if we can get one for you, but um, but yeah, there was an image of the actual device. So I'm guessing they yeah tag it. So obviously when a lot of guys up around Grid Island do a lot of sort of tagging and stuff of of billfish, and um, yeah, try and uh, keep record of things. So because uh, it is a fairly under. Um, uh, underfished sort of um, you know area, so yeah, um, it's not it's not something that everyone goes out and does, is, you know, uh, especially yeah. here. Like it's almost unheard of. People going out and actually targeting billfish here, yeah. people catching them sometimes, trolling for mackerel and stuff. But in terms of actually going out and targeting sailfish and marlin, it's not a not an overly popular um, fishery for us. Yeah, not here but in the Gulf. Gr but Groot Island, though, I think is, yeah. is and they they do have their big billfish comp. 
yeah, late in the year. On my top end as well, they do as well. Uh, I reckon launching from Dundee. Dundee, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's spots out there that people go out. Yeah, and, that, and that, that's what they were talk, spoke about last night too um, uh, at this um, AFAN AGM. Um, uh, David uh, spoke about that and said, you know, it is an emerging fishery. Like, people are getting more into it. Uh, people are learning more about it and, and um, you know, and it's, it's, I mean, obviously it's a great fun fishery as well. You know, you're catching big, big fish. Um, you know, they're, they're very sporty. Um, so uh, it is an emerging fishery in the Territory. And as we mentioned, you know, if you're coming up from down south for a trip here to King Ash Bay and you do a bit of that sort of fishing down south, you know, bring that sort of gear up with you. And if you had some good days getting it around the islands there, yeah, you have every chance of getting a good fish. Yeah, go have a look. Yeah, so... Mm. Yeah, so I'm getting pretty excited about going out there and... And having a fish out here this afternoon, mate. So I reckon uh, Bullfrog will be knocking on that door any minute from now. Yep. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, yeah, plan will be we're going to go launch the boat and go up around the corner, mate, and have a couple of quiet beverages as the sun's setting. Yep. And, uh, yeah, trial up some, hopefully, some big barrows that we can <laughs> talk about next time. Otherwise... Uh... I'd be so good. I've got all my cameras with me and my drone and everything, so it'd be great to sneaking a little episode there for my channel and obviously some uh something really exciting to talk about on the podcast yeah mine his first metery maybe oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> was, we'll see how we go and then yeah so froggy's back as well our other mate so yeah so uh get him out in the water he hasn't been here for quite a while he's been down yeah. south the way he obviously works at the mine but yeah. uh, he's been down south for the last couple of um holiday swings so yeah buying motorbikes and <laughs> all sorts of stuff <laughs> uh, he's back here for a while now and then uh, and you're off mate yeah mate yeah yeah so um i'll be leaving i'll be driving out of out of king ash bay tomorrow Ooh. Um, yeah, so I go back and see my wife and kids up in Darwin, which I'm um, <laughs> very overdue. Very excited to see my kids. How long has it been since they were here, mate? Three weeks, four uh, weeks? Yeah, yeah, probably three weeks. Yeah. So but back this, up there and get organised for. Uh, the big drive down. Big drive down south. You never know, mate. You might see me sneaking back through here. Oh. It's not really, as long as, as, long as weather permitting. There's, it's not really much of a detour for me to come back through here for a few days on the way down with the family. Yeah, just have to keep an eye on that Tablelands Road and yeah. see how much water they've had going across there. Yeah. <laughs> We've had some big storms around. Uh, even last night, some massive big rain to the south of us. Yeah. So um, It's been excellent. Like the, yeah, any rain we get in December is a bonus, really. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, and, we, and we have had yeah, some, some good rain already. It's, yeah. It's been excellent. Uh, hopefully the barrows are going to be coming down the river, mate. There's been some fresh water. The river, the Macarthur did rise a couple of metres up at the, around the mine, which yep. is a couple hundred k's from here. Yeah. But with a little bit of taste of fresh on the surface there, there might just be a couple of big barrows cruising yeah. around. And today they just uh, unlocked another million dollar fish, ain't? Eh? Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, first day of December, mate. The uh, they do all the million dollar fishmas uh, yeah. <laughs> advent calendar. So day one, they another million dollar fish uh, active somewhere in the territory and. We're going to try and hopefully get stuck into it. Yeah. Actually, that was the other thing we saw the other day too was uh, Volk. Volk was in the territory yeah, chasing yeah, the million fish. Volkanovski, so. the, the, the UFC fighter. Yeah, Alexander the Great and Volkanovski. Yeah. Absolute legend was he yeah, going. We are, we are fans. Big fans, mate. <laughs> Big fans. I was yeah, devastated so. we got knocked out the first round oh. in Dubai, but uh, after staying up until 6 o'clock in the morning to, <laughs> to watch it, <laughs> the silks burned down. Oh, yes. Which put us on the light beers three hours before the fight. Oh. Uh, yeah, so uh, so yeah, the Volk was up here even chasing million dollar fish, mate. So, yeah. So when we get out this afternoon, I reckon we're shooing, mate. There's gonna... no reason we 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 won't catch a tag fish. There's no nothing stopping us. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, Lack of ability, enthusiasm, maybe. So yeah, you, the, 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 I can't stress the importance of this. If you're going out fishing with mates, you need to have at least a verbal contract um, on the boat. Um, before you catch the tag fish, oh, yeah. because uh, yeah, because you, you don't want to be uh, fighting with mates over money. So mm. yeah, we were out in the boat. What was our deal uh, with just two of us on the boat the other day? We decided seven fifty, two fifty. If it was the million dollar fish, whoever actually catches it, they get seven fifty, and whoever whoever nets it gets two fifty. Yeah, yeah. Which is obviously yeah, it, it takes it takes more than one person to catch a barra. So. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a fair one. So we're gonna we're gonna cut bullfrog in. Oh, 
Ah, save your own. Well, yeah, we went to cut it. And then what is it? A $10,000 fish out of the deal was uh, if we caught a $10,000 fish, mate, we'd have straight into, straight into uh, the podcast. Pod- podcast idea, mate. Yeah. And uh, get this up and going. Yeah. Just before we uh, before we started recording, I literally jumped online and bought um, a headphone a headphone amplifier splitter. So, oh, yeah. So we can actually monitor the audio, get some headphones on, and then we could actually... You'd be like, oh, Mike, can you just turn that up a bit for me, mate? Yeah, all right, how's that? Perfect. (laughs) We're going to try and make things better, so this will be episode four. We've already recorded episode five. Yeah. Um, It's all become a bit of a blur, actually. Yeah. Um, But so once... Come next year and we start getting guests on and stuff like that, it's all going to be... Yeah, we'll, we'll have it a bit more organised and a bit more structured, and yeah. um, rather than just waffling on about. Yeah, we'll, we'll have some seg- segments on. We might have a special segment about gear. We might f- feature some gear every episode. We might feature a particular yarn or. Yeah, we'll get some. Yeah, we'll, we'll do some interviews and stuff like that around the place. Um, you know, guys down the pub or at the boat ramp, whatever like that. You know, people in the campground that might have caught a couple of barrow, we might um, have a quick chat to them. So there'll be all sorts of stuff. Um, and if you're coming here and you see us and something happens, you know, sing out, let us know. Um, hit us up on our Facebook, our email. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, download um, the episodes on uh, Spotify. Make sure yeah. you hit that auto download. So it'll just come yeah. up every and time. And on YouTube, if, you, if you've liked what you've listened to today, hit the subscribe button. Yeah. We, we love seeing those numbers go up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, oh, big thanks again to our bloke in Belgium. Ozzy Bag. So we still, have about two views, have we? Still the only uh, international okay. international listener. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much, mate. Still, uh, get in touch with us so we can send you something. <laughs> I'll send you something for sure, mate. <laughs> Sweet, we're ready, mate. Shut it down. Shut it down, bros. Shut it down, bros. Oh, look at that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Guides in the Gulf.